Welcome to the CCF Iowa podcast. We're going to continue our For Everyone series this week by talking about Matthew chapter 17. So let me start by just reading the first 13 verses of Matthew 17. And then we'll start to kind of dig into and unwrap what this text maybe is talking about. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. So I'm going to start by breaking down some of the significant things that happen uh, during this time. And, and maybe where there's uh, a parallel here of what's happening in the transfiguration. So it says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. So Jesus plus three others go up a high mountain by themselves. And then his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. He met with Moses and Elijah. And then Peter says, let's put up some tents. That's kind of interesting. And then it says, a bright cloud enveloped him. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. So we've got already just some interesting things that are happening. The transfiguration... Uh, if I'm being quite frank, is a weird event. Uh, it's not necessarily something you would expect to see um, in the real world. And, and yet, this is what the text says happens to Jesus. So why are these things, why did I kind of reemphasize certain facets of this story? What's going on here? Well, maybe some of you, as I was pointing out some of the specific things that happened, thought of another story where a very important biblical figure goes up a high mountain and takes a couple close personal um, friends or people that he's teaching, mentoring, and they go up the mountain together, and then it talks about the radiance of, of this individual's face. And so some of you may now, that being a little bit more direct, may have thought of when Moses went up Mount Sinai and received the the law from God and it talks about how the mountain 
was actually had a, had a cloud around it, and there was thunder and lightning, and, and it mentions here that God speaks from within a cloud that's over this mountain, this high mountain. Now, the, probably a different mountain than Mount Sinai. Um, it doesn't specifically say the mountain that Jesus went up, um, but there's a couple different, there's always a debate about just about everything in the Bible. In this case, it's a debate about which mountain this happened on, whether um, specifically focused on Mount Tabor or Mount Hermon. Uh, now, the reason that people like Mount Tabor is because it says after six days, Jesus went up on a mountain. And the area that he was just in, the, the Caesarea Philippi area, um, it's about a six-day journey from that region to Mount Tabor. And so it makes sense, six-day journey away, it'd be about six days, they go up the mountain. Mount Hermon is actually like in the region of Caesarea Philippi. The city of Caesarea Philippi is kind of at the foot of the mountain, and then from there you climb up. Why six days? Well, there's some aspects of this that reflect the Sinai story. Because um, for Moses, he wasn't just on the mountain for an afternoon. He was on the mountain for days. So many days, in fact, that the Israelites um, back at the foot of the mountain start to wonder, what happened to Moses? Did he just disappear? Did God take him? What should we be doing with all this? And that's when they build the golden calf. It's because they've wondered what's happened to this guy that was their leader. Maybe we should just make a new leader or something else we can worship because eh, it looks like God's abandoned us. That's kind of their philosophy there. So six days. It seems like that's actually a pretty fitting time for, for Moses going up Sinai. And so Jesus would have started at the foot of the mountain and after six days he starts to go up the mountain. And so already the disciples that he's taken with him, Peter, James, and John, might start to be thinking, okay, so why, why did we wait this length of time? I do remember that kind of, because everything that Jesus does ties into, into the Old Testament text. He's usually trying to say something with his actions, with his words. He doesn't very often directly quote from the Old Testament, but he's just doing things that say, we're living out text here. Follow this. Think of this. Dwell on this. Debate this. That's what Jesus does with his actions, with his words. He's wanting his disciples to think of Old Testament text. And so when they see Jesus get up there and they see his face shining like the sun and becoming as white as light, and then they actually see Moses and Elijah there, I'm not entirely sure how they would recognize them. It's not like they had photographs of Moses and Elijah, but for some reason they seem to understand in that moment, or maybe Jesus clarifies and explains them later on. But it seems to me Peter understands this is Moses and this is Elijah. What should we do about this? And, and sometimes people will take the statement from Peter and be like, what the heck, Peter? Where are you coming from? What are you saying? Like, do you even know what's going on? Peter's just always the first to respond. Even when he says something that doesn't make sense, he just wants to make sure that he's the first one to say it. Well, let's maybe pause on that thought and actually go into what are the words that Peter's saying? Because I think Peter grasped and understood that they're re- doing Mount Sinai. They're going back through it. 
and Jesus is pointing them to this experience and saying, remember guys, I've kind of already been showing you on the second Moses, but just so that's even more clear, we're going to have a Mount Sinai moment here. And when he has his Mount Sinai moment, Moses and Elijah show up too. So Peter says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Why does he want to set up tents? Well, because right after the giving of the law of Sinai, they start doing the things that God has prescribed for them to do, all the commands. And one of those big commands is to set up a tabernacle, a shelter for God to dwell in. And so Peter sees this really incredible thing happening. He says, okay, we're in the Sinai story, so the next thing we should be doing is setting up shelters. We need a place for these people to dwell because God sends the Israelites back to their tents. He has them build him a shelter amongst them so that he can dwell amongst them. Peter's like, we got to build tents now. That's the next thing you do in the Sinai story. And so while Peter's statement may make no sense to us if we haven't made the Sinai connection, if you start to make that Sinai connection, maybe you're going, oh, okay, actually what Peter's saying does kind of make sense. And then while Peter's even saying this is when the cloud shows up and God is in the midst of that cloud. And so some people, if they think that Peter's just losing his mind or saying something just completely obscure and random, feel like God here just interrupts Peter, be like, hey, dude, like, no. The, the important moment of what is happening here is that this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. You need to listen to him. But if Peter's right about the shelters, and I think this is a cool thing that God does for us, is when he sees that we're catching what's happening, what's actually going on, that we're going with the flow and we're seeing what Jesus is doing and we're seeing what God's doing in our lives, then God just jumps in excited. And he wants to keep moving us along. And he's like, Peter, you're getting it. This is awesome. This is my son whom I love, and with him I'm well pleased. You need to keep listening to him. I think we can take the statements of God that way. i just go, and Peter, you're on it. And I'm going to confirm it for you so that you can be even more on it and more about it and keep following my son here, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Keep listening to him. You're getting it but there's even more to come. And Peter, by the way, has had kind of a rough week. Uh, we've said it six days, but the last thing that happened before those six days is when Peter was taken aside and told, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter disagreed that Jesus was supposed to come and die. And so there's this kind of big statement here about, about Peter and that he's missing the point, and he needs to take up his cross, and he needs to sacrifice himself, and he needs to follow Jesus, and that's, that's what it's going to look like. To follow Jesus means to most likely die like Jesus died, sacrificing yourself for others. Peter, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so when the transfiguration happens, Peter's had one of his highest moments with his confession of you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He's had one of the lowest moments where he's tried to rebuke his teacher and has been told, get behind me, Satan. Which I don't think he was actually being called like the devil Satan. Satan's the, the word for, um, for opposition. And so I think Jesus is just generically dressing him as one who opposes. 
the will of God. That's another point for another time. Either way, not a great thing to hear from your teacher. Highest high, lowest low, and then he's here for this transfiguration. And I think God is confirming to him, hey, Peter, you had it, you lost it, you're catching it again. Keep rolling with this. Listen to my son. And now the disciples probably have figured out, probably have realized that they're hearing the voice of God coming from a cloud. And they don't exactly know what to do. And in fact, this mirrors very directly what the Israelites did when they were in the midst of Mount Sinai. Is they heard these trumpet blasts and this huge cloud and thunder and lightning and like God showed up on a mountaintop. And they got freaked out and they said, Moses, you go for us. We don't know what to do. If we try to get up on that mountain, we're probably just going to die. You be our representative. You go. The disciples fall face down, but Jesus taps them on the shoulder and says, you can get up. Don't be afraid. And then when they look up, it's, it's just Jesus there. Elijah, Elijah and Moses have gone and done, going back to wherever Elijah and Moses have been hanging out. And he tells them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Uh, a reminder, again, to the disciples that I'm doing some awesome things here, but some of these things you just need to keep to yourself for the time being. And also remember, I came here to die. And there's going to be other things that are going to be really incredible that you're going to see that's just going to change your life. And then you can fit all those pieces together and you can tell my story and it's going to make a whole lot of sense to people but for now, keep it. They ask him about Elijah. He tells them about, I know you guys like literally just saw me talking with Elijah, but in case you missed it before, I think I've explained it, but well, let me remind you, the Elijah who was to come was John the Baptist. And he's been doing things, and he worked things, and he proclaimed my coming. And so the Elijah has already come. And now the Messiah is here. And I've brought the kingdom. And there's all kinds of things that are happening here. And you're going to keep seeing more and better and greater things. And have the opportunity to do more and better and greater things. And how cool is it for Peter, James, John. By the way, the three that come to be identified in Acts as the pillars of the church. Three of the most significant individuals to, to be about in, in the bringing of, of the church in, in that era. Um, kind of Jesus' closest confidants among the disciples, but also three of the guys that did the most incredible things in establishing the church and getting it rolling. Paul's also pretty important too, but we meet him later on. Peter, James, and John have seen all these things. They've been encouraged by these things. Um, God showed up in a cloud, and it could have caused them to die, which is why they're so terrified by it. But he, in fact, I believe, comes with encouragement, saying, you're on track. Keep following. Keep listening. Keep doing and being like your rabbi.
And I think that's a message that we can take with us. Yeah, we haven't gotten to see that mountaintop moment. We, we didn't get to see Jesus transfigured. We haven't ever probably seen anybody whose face radiated with light because of their interactions with God. But we've got a model here, like Peter, James, and John did. A model of Jesus who we're tasked with following. Living like he lives doing what he did, learning from his words so that we can also proclaim this is what God is like. And when God shows up, it's pretty incredible. It's pretty meaningful. And so we can just keep telling people, this is our God. He loves like no one else. He works like no one else. You can trust him. You can follow him. To use Paul, who I mentioned a little bit ago, follow me as I follow Christ. That should be our words to people, to help them to, to live the way that God wants them to live, to help them also be an example to others, to be ourselves part of that kingdom of priests, and to tra train others to do likewise. Jesus keeps showing over and over again to his disciples that he's the second Moses. He's redoing Mount Sinai. He's redoing some of the incredible things that Moses did in, in leading the Israelites and giving them the law and showing them how to live and what commands God had for them and, and establishing the nation of Israel. Jesus is bringing kingdom. He's showing the right way to live according to scripture. He's establishing a new kingdom, a kingdom of priests, a kingdom that we get to be a part of here and now as we follow Christ and as we help others follow Christ. So let's listen to our rabbi. There's more things that he has to share with us in the coming chapters of Matthew. Hey, thanks for spending time with us today. If you have any questions about what you heard or any interest in learning more about CCF in Iowa, then please email us at ccf.uiowa at gmail.com and we would love to get you connected.